Chapter Eight of Ayala's Angel. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Ayala's Angel by Anthony Trollope. Chapter Eight. The Lout. Aunt Emmeline, I want you to read this letter. So it was that Ayala commenced the interview. At this moment, Ayala was not on much better terms with her aunt than she was with her cousin Augusta. Ayala was a trouble to her, Lady Tringle, who was altogether perplexed with the feeling that she had burdened herself with an inmate in her house who was distasteful to her, and of whom she could not rid herself. Ayala had turned out on her hands something altogether different from the girl she had intended to cherish and patronise. Ayala was independent, superior rather than inferior to her own girls, more thought of by others, apparently without any touch of that subservience which should have been produced in her by her position. Ayala seemed to demand as much as though she were a daughter of the house, and at the same time to carry herself as though she were more gifted than the daughters of the house. She was less obedient even than a daughter. All this Aunt Emmeline could not endure with a placid bosom. She was, herself, kind of heart. She acknowledged her duty to her dead sister. She wished to protect and foster the orphan. She did not even yet wish to punish Ayala by utter desertion. She would protect her, in opposition to Augusta's more declared malignity, but she did wish to be rid of Ayala if she only knew how. She took her son's letter and read it, and, as a matter of course, misunderstood the position. At Glenbogie something had been whispered to her about Tom and Ayala, but she had not believed much in it. Ayala was a child, and Tom was to her not much more than a boy. But now here was a genuine love-letter, a letter in which her son had made a distinct proposition to marry the orphan. She did not stop to consider why Ayala had brought the letter to her, but entertained at once an idea that the two young people were going to vex her very soul by a lamentable love-affair. How imprudent she had been to let the two young people be together in Rome, seeing that the matter had been whispered to her at Glenbogie. "'How long has this been going on?' she asked severely. "'He used to tease me at Glenbogie, and now he's doing it again,' said Ayala. "'There must certainly be put an end to it. You must go away.' Ayala knew at once that her aunt was angry with her, and was indignant at the injustice. "'Of course there must be put an end to it, Aunt Emmeline. He has no right to annoy me when I tell him not.' "'I suppose you have encouraged him.' This was too cruel to be borne. "'Encouraged him?' Ayala's anger was caused not so much by a feeling that her aunt had misappreciated the cause of her coming, as that it should have been thought possible that she should have encouraged such a lover. It was the outrage to her taste, rather than to her conduct, which afflicted her. "'He's a lout,' she said, "'a stupid lout.' Thus casting her scorn upon the mother as well as on the son, and indeed upon the whole family. "'I have not encouraged him. It's untrue.' "'Ayala, you're very impertinent.' and you are very unjust. Because I want to put a stop to it, I come to you, and you tell me that I encourage him. You're worse than Augusta. This was too much for the good nature, even of Aunt Emmeline. Whatever may have been the truth as to the love affair, however innocent Ayala may have been in that matter, or however guilty Tom, such words from a niece to her aunt, from a dependent to her superior, were unpardonable. The extreme youthfulness of the girl, a peculiar look of childhood which she still had with her, made the feeling so much the stronger. You are worse than Augusta. And this was said to her, who was specially conscious of her endeavours to mitigate Augusta's just anger. She bridled up, and tried to look big, and knit her brows. 
At that moment she could not think what must be the end of it, but she felt that Ayala must be crushed. "'How dare you speak to me like that, miss?' she said. "'So you are. It's very cruel. Tom will go on saying all this nonsense to me, and when I come to you, you say I encourage him. I never encouraged him. I despise him too much. I did not think my own aunt could have told me that I encouraged any man. No, I didn't. You drive me to it, so that I have got to be impertinent.' "'You had better go to your room,' said the aunt. Then Ayala, lifting her head as high as she knew how, walked towards the door. "'You had better leave that letter with me.' Ayala considered the matter for a moment, and then handed the letter a second time to her aunt. It could be nothing to her who saw the letter. She did not want it. Having thus given it up, she stalked off in silent disdain, and went to her chamber.' Aunt Emmeline, when she was left alone, felt herself to be enveloped in a cloud of doubt. The desirableness of Tom as a husband first forced itself upon her attention, and the undesirableness of Ayala as a wife for Tom. She was perplexed at her own folly in not having seen that danger of this kind would arise when she first proposed to take Ayala into the house. Aunts and uncles do not like the marriage of cousins, and the parents of rich children do not, as a rule, approve of marriages with those which are poor. Although Ayala had been so violent, Lady Tringle could not rid herself of the idea that her darling boy was going to throw himself away. Then her cheeks became red with anger, as she remembered that her Tom had been called a lout, a stupid lout. There was an ingratitude in the use of such language which was not alleviated, even by the remembrance that it tended against that matrimonial danger of which she was so much afraid. Ayala was behaving very badly. She ought not to have coaxed Tom to be her lover, and she certainly ought not to have called Tom a lout. And then Ayala had told her aunt that she was unjust and worse than Augusta. It was out of the question that such a state of things should be endured. Ayala must be made to go away. Before the day was over, Lady Tringle spoke to her son, and was astonished to find that the lout was quite in earnest, so much in earnest that he declared his purpose of marrying his cousin in opposition to his father and mother in opposition even to Ayala herself. He was so much in earnest that he would not be roused to wrath, even when he was told that Ayala had called him a lout. And then grew upon the mother a feeling that the young man had never been so little loutish before. For there had been, even to her maternal bosom, a feeling that Tom was open to the criticism expressed on him. Tom had been a hobbledehoy one of those overgrown lads who come late to their manhood, and who were regarded by young ladies as louts. Though he had spent his money only too freely when away, his sisters had sometimes said that he could not say boo to a goose at home. But now—now now Tom was quite an altered young man. When his own letter was shown to him, he simply said that he meant to stick to it. When it was represented to him that his cousin would be quite an unfit wife for him, he assured his mother that his own opinion on that matter was very different. When his father's anger was threatened, he declared that his father would have no right to be angry with him if he married a lady. At the word lout, he simply smiled. "'She'll come to think different from that before she's done with me,' he said with a smile. Even the mother could not but perceive that the young man had been very much improved by his love. But what was she to do?' Two or three days went on, during which there was no reconciliation between her and Ayala. Between Augusta and Ayala no word was spoken. Messages were taken to her by Gertrude, the object of which was to induce her to ask her aunt's pardon. 
but Ayala was of the opinion that her aunt ought to ask her pardon, and could not be beaten from it. "'Why did she say that I encouraged him?' she demanded indignantly of Gertrude. "'I don't think she did encourage him,' said Gertrude to her mother. This might possibly be true, but not the less had she misbehaved. And though she might not yet have encouraged her lover, it was only too probable that she might do so when she found that her lover was quite in earnest. Lady Tringle was much harassed, and then there came an additional trouble. Gertrude informed her mother that she had engaged herself to Mr. Francis Houston, and that Mr. Houston was going to write to her father with the object of proposing himself as a son-in-law. Mr. Houston came also to herself, and told her, in the most natural tone in the world, that he intended to marry her daughter. She had not known what to say. It was Sir Thomas who managed all matters of money. She had an idea that Mr. Houston was very poor, but then so also had been Mr. Traffic, who had been received into the family with open arms. But then Mr. Traffic had a career, whereas Mr. Houston was lamentably idle. She could only refer Mr. Houston to Sir Thomas, and beg him not to come among them any more till Sir Thomas had decided. Upon this Gertrude also got angry, and shut herself up in her room. The apartments through Pertie were, therefore, upon the whole, an uncomfortable home to them. Letters upon letters were written to Sir Thomas, and letters upon letters came. The first letter had been about Ayala. He had been much more tender towards Ayala than her aunt had been. He talked of calf-love, and said that Tom was a fool, but he had not at once thought it necessary to give imperative orders for Tom's return. As to Ayala's impudence, he evidently regarded it as nothing. It was not till Aunt Emmeline had spoken out in her third letter that he seemed to recognise the possibility of getting rid of Ayala altogether. And this he did in answer to a suggestion which had been made to him. "'If she likes to change with her sister Lucy, and you like it, I shall not object,' said Sir Thomas. Then there came an order to Tom that he should return to Lombard Street at once, but this order had been rendered abortive by the sudden return of the whole family. Sir Thomas, in his first letter as to Gertrude, had declared that the Houston marriage would not do at all. Then, when he was told that Gertrude and Mr. Houston had certainly met each other more than once, since an order had been given for their separation, he desired the whole family to come back at once to Merle Park. The proposition as to Lucy had arisen in this wise. Tom, being in the same house with Ayala, of course had her very much at advantage, and would carry on his suit in spite of any abuse which she might lavish upon him. It was quite in vain that she called him lout. "'You'll think very different from that some of these days, Ayala,' he said more seriously. "'No, I shan't. I shall think always the same. When you know how much I love you, you'll change.' "'I don't want you to love me,' she said. "'And if you are anything that is good, you wouldn't go on after I have told you so often. It's not manly of you. You have brought me to all manner of trouble. It's your fault, but they make me suffer.' After that Ayala went again to her aunt, and on this occasion the family misfortune was discussed in more seemly language. Ayala was still indignant, but she said nothing insolent. Aunt Emmeline was still averse to her niece, but she abstained from recrimination. They knew each other as enemies, but recognised the wisdom of keeping the peace. "'As for that, Aunt Emmeline,' Ayala said, "'you may be quite sure that I shall never encourage him. I shall never like him well enough.' "'Very well. Then we need say no more about that, my dear. Of course it must be unpleasant to us all being in the same house together.' 
"'It's very unpleasant to me when he will go on bothering me like that. It makes me wish that I were anywhere else.' Then Aunt Emmeline began to think about it very seriously. It was very unpleasant. Ayala had made herself disagreeable to all the ladies of the family, and only too agreeable to the young gentleman. Nor did the manifest favour of Sir Thomas do much towards raising Ayala in Lady Trinkle's estimation. Sir Thomas had only laughed when Augusta had been requested to go upstairs for the scrapbook. Sir Thomas had been profuse with his presence, even when Ayala had been most persistent in her misbehaviour. And then all that affair of the Marchesa, and even Mr. Traffic's infatuation. If Ayala wished that she were somewhere else, would it not be well to indulge her wish? Aunt Emmeline certainly wished it. "'If you think so, perhaps some arrangement can be made,' said Aunt Emmeline very slowly. "'What arrangement?' "'You must not suppose that I wish to turn you out.' "'But what arrangement?' "'You see, Ayala, that unfortunately we have not all of us hit it on nicely, have we?' "'Not at all, Aunt Emmeline. Augusta is always angry with me, and you, you think I have encouraged Tom.' "'I am saying nothing about that, Ayala.' "'But what arrangement is it, Aunt Emmeline?' The matter was one of fearful import to Ayala. She was prudent enough to understand that well. The arrangement must be one by which she would be banished from all the wealth of the Tringles. Her coming among them had not been a success. She had already made them tired of her by her petulance and independence. Young as she was, she could see that, and comprehend the material injury she had done to herself by her folly.' She had been very wrong in telling Augusta to go upstairs. She had been wrong in the triumph of her exclusive visits to the Marchesa. She had been wrong in walking away with Mr. Traffic on the Pincian. She could see that. She had not been wrong in regard to Tom, except in calling him a lout. But whether wrong or right, she had been most unfortunate. But the thing had been done, and she must go. At this moment the wealth of the Tringles seemed to be more to her than it had ever been before— and her own poverty and destitution seemed to be more absolute. When the word arrangement was whispered to her, there came upon her a clear idea of all which she was to lose. She was to be banished from Merle Park, from Queensgate, and from Glenbogie. For her there were to be no more carriages and horses and pretty trinkets, none of that abandon of the luxury of money among which the Tringles lived. But she had done it for herself, and she would not say a word in opposition to the fate which was before her. "'What arrangement, aunt?' she said again, in a voice which was intended to welcome any arrangement that might be made. Then her aunt spoke very softly. "'Of course, dear Ayala, we do not wish to do less than we at first intended, but as you are not happy here—' Then she paused, almost ashamed of herself. "'I am not happy here,' said Ayala boldly. "'How would it be if you were to change with Lucy?' The idea which had been present to Lady Tringle for some weeks past had never struck Ayala. The moment she heard it, she felt that she was more than ever bound to assent. If the home from which she was to be banished was good, then would that good fall upon Lucy. Lucy would have the carriages and the horses and the trinkets. Lucy, who certainly was not happy at Kingsbury Crescent. "'I should be very glad indeed,' said Ayala. Her voice was so brave and decided that in itself it gave fresh offence to her aunt. Was there to be no regret after so much generosity? But she misunderstood the girl altogether. As the words were coming from her lips, I should be very glad indeed. 
Ayala's heart was sinking with tenderness as she remembered how much, after all, had been done for her. But as they wished her to go, there would be not a word, not a sign of unwillingness on her part. "'Then perhaps it can be arranged,' said Lady Tringle. "'I don't know what Uncle Dossett may say. Perhaps they're very fond of Lucy now.' "'They wouldn't wish to stand in her way, I should think. "'At any rate, I won't, if you and my uncles and Aunt Margaret will consent. "'I will go whenever you choose. "'Of course, I must do just as I'm told.' "'Aunt Emmeline made a faint demur to this, "'but still the matter was held to be arranged. "'Letters were written to Sir Thomas, and letters came, "'and at last even Sir Thomas had assented. "'He suggested in the first place "'that all the facts which would follow the exchange "'should be explained to Ayala.' but he was obliged, after a while, to acknowledge that this would be inexpedient. The girl was willing, and knew no doubt that she was to give up the great wealth of her present home, but she had proved herself to be an unfit participator, and it was better that she should go. Then the departure of them all from Rome was hurried on by the indiscretion of Gertrude. Gertrude declared that she had a right to her lover. As to his having no income, what matter for that? Every one knew that Septimus Traffic had no income. Papa had enough income for them all. Mr. Houston was a gentleman. Till this moment no one had known of how strong a will of her own Gertrude was possessed. When Gertrude declared that she would not consent to be separated from Mr. Houston, then they were all hurried home. End of chapter 8